RadioInfluence.com. On this week's episode of Crush Performance, baseball is back, and we're going to look at ways to not only improve your performance, but decrease your risk of injury. And we'll take a crush look at the teams, players, and storylines we're watching this MLB season, and we'll wrap it up with our World Series champion pick. Baseball is back, baby. Play ball. Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. Welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Grishel, and we're your trusted source for performance information. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, do so. Our new website is up and running. Search out jeffgrishel.com. Lots of new ways for us to connect. A lot of great new information there. And we have some fantastic new features on the way as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on all of the social media platforms, search out Crush Performance. It is springtime, our favorite time of year. Think of everything that's going on right now. We've got Major League Baseball kicking off. We've got the NHL and the NBA nearing playoff time. We've got the Masters. We've got March Madness. It is so fantastic. I love the spring. Baseball is back, baby, and there's absolutely nothing like it. Let's play ball. was a little rocky heading into spring training without a collective bargaining agreement as the owners and the players were at odds on a number of issues, financial, player rights, a few, of course, rule issues as well. Um, But they managed to get the deal done, but not in time for a regular length spring training. Pitchers and catchers usually report mid-February with the rest of the team rolling in late February, early March for sure. And that time is critical to get players Uh, climatized and to ramp things up for the competitive season. So there were worries about this condensed spring training and what they're going to do to sort of compensate teams is give them a couple extra roster spots as they head into the season. Up until May, teams will be able to have 28 players on their roster and they can balance that between position players or pitchers, depending on what they feel their rosters might need. And then as of May 1st, they go back down to 26, the 26-man roster, which is a huge change, everybody. A couple years ago, they added that 26th man to the roster, which is, I think, really, really going to change things. You know, the last real season we have data, like full season data is 2019, and we're sort of watching the injury trends because they've been on the rise for the last 10 years at every single level of the game. So to offset maybe some of these player management issues that Major League Baseball has sort of identified as these critical areas for for the the injuries that we're seeing, they added extra days of rest. And then they added an extra man to the roster. All great moves. We're going to see how it plays out here. So I'm excited for this season uh, for more than one reason. Certainly to see if these extra parameters, the extra rest and extra players put a dent in the injuries in the game. But also I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about having extra players on the roster. It's kind of like September call-ups in April, right? It's going to be great to see these extra players uh, in the game and how that's going to play out. Because listen, putting together a team in any sport is very, very difficult. I think baseball might be one of the tougher sports to manage and, and construct a team simply because of the competitive schedule. 
And then if you look at the idea that Major League Baseball wants to potentially expand two more teams, is the talent pool deep enough? This is one of the big questions as we sort of head into this next era of baseball, right? We've got some of these interesting rule changes that we can talk about in a second that were part of this collective bargaining agreement. But the idea that uh, we got to take care of Oakland A's potentially moving to Vegas or the Tampa Rays moving to Montreal or getting those two teams taken care of. Rob Manfred, the commissioner, has made it quite clear until the Rays and the A's, Oakland A's, are taken care of, there won't be any expansion. But he did say one of his priorities is to add two more teams to the league. Is the talent pool deep enough? I mean, they're talking about a team in Vegas possibly coming back to Montreal. Uh, The idea of getting a team in Mexico has also been entertained. And I think that would be fantastic. Mexico has a deep, deep baseball culture. It would be kind of like passing into Canada to play the Blue Jays. They're talking about putting a, a, a team in Mexico City. Mexico City, if you've never been there, check it out. Just Google Mexico City. It's incredible. I think 22 million people in that city. You could have four or five teams just in Mexico City alone, leave alone the rest of the country. But I love the idea of potentially having a Mexican team added to the lineup to get Canada back in action, maybe with Montreal to have two teams up north. The teams in the U.S. all settled, potentially moving to Vegas. And then a team in Mexico. I think it would be a great addition. But the question is, you know, over this spring training, is the talent pool deep enough to support two more teams? And I think it's one of the reasons I'm kind of excited about this expanded roster to see if, you know, these extra players can really, really contribute on a daily basis in this in this tough schedule. That'll be fun to watch for sure. And a couple of things that came out of this collective bargaining agreement that are still being discussed here as we head into the season are the idea of some of the new rules, banning the shift. Okay, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of years. Analytics has really changed the game, of course. And one of the things that it's done is it's realigned our defense based on the hitter's skills and abilities and where he tends to hit the ball. So you might see the third baseman playing over where the shortstop is, and you might have the shortstop, the second baseman, and the first baseman on the first base side of the field. So you got three infielders uh, between first and second base, and then only the third baseman sort of shoring up that second to third area. And we've seen against uh, Bryce Harper, for example, you know, them moving probably their shortstop into the outfield. We've seen four outfielders deep, deep in the outfield when Bryce Harper is hitting the ball. And that's a big change. Just looking at the analytics and the odds of where that ball is going to land. I think this year, we're going to see a massive shift against the analytics. The analytics were telling us what to do. Now the analytics are telling us what to do because of what the analytics are telling us to do, right? It's, it's crazy. So we went way overboard with all these numbers and everybody just redlined. I think now it's coming back to an area where it's very manageable and it'll be better for the game. I'm going to predict right now at the start of this season, we're going to see a lot more base hits. The shift in the analytics basically eliminated the base hits, right? And unless you were swinging for the fence, you were pretty much a guaranteed out. If that ball was on the ground in the infield, the percentage showed with the analytics and the shift and the data that we had, a ground ball through the infield is almost a guaranteed out. We also saw less base stealing, very few bunts. I think that's going to change this year. I think we're going to see a lot more base hits. 
I think we're going to see way more base running. And I think we're going to see a lot more small ball, which just makes the game so much more fun to watch. Let's just see what happens. That's my prediction. And the only reason I think that's happening is because people and teams have caught on to the analytics. Another thing that's really happening, and this is an opportunity for every player out there, if they make some of these other rule changes, like for example, if they take away the shift, ban the shift, I think that'll be great for baseball. I don't think it's necessary though. I don't like banning the shift. I think if a team wants to take that risk, let them do it. Let's teach our hitters to hit to every field. It can be done. You know what? I know hitting is probably, hitting a baseball is probably one of the hardest things to do in all of sport, but I also don't think that we've really produced great hitters. There's been a few, of course, Bonds, Ortiz. You know, we've seen some great hitters in our, in our time. There's some great hitters right now as well, but we've never really been forced as hitters and as coaches to create hitters that are really, really robust and adaptable. Okay, I think we I think this opportunity is here. If you're a young player, you can switch hit. If you're a young player, you can really learn how to hit to all fields and just make that how you operate. Of course it gets difficult. Don't get me wrong, I understand all of that. But I think that's a massive opportunity in the game right now. If they ban the shift, well, I think it really bodes well for the offense and the hitters but I don't think it's necessary. They're talking about moving the mound as well, moving the mound back. I think that's a terrible idea. That is a structural change to the game for one, but also I don't think that bodes well for pitchers where we're seeing injury rates already at all-time highs. Now, a lot of those injuries are because of velocity and the quest for velocity. And we're going to talk about the velocity trap here in a, in a second as we discuss what you can do right now to get ready for the season to reduce your risk of injury, but also increase your level of play. But moving the moving the mound back, I think it's a terrible idea. I don't like anything about it, and I'm going to have to look into it a little bit more. But but initially, hearing the arguments and you know hearing the challenges, we want more offense in the game. I think there's better ways to do it. And for me, it all comes back to hitting. Let's create better hitters. Why not? I mean, we've never really been forced to create and develop great hitters from the grassroots all the way up. And I think if we really understand the art of hitting, there's a huge opportunity here. If you're a young player and you're a a pretty good hitter, I would spend a lot of time mastering that craft. If you look at it at the major league level, a 90 mile an hour pitch takes about 400 milliseconds to get to home plate. That's less than half a second. And all the things that have to happen inside of that 400 milliseconds is incredible. But there's opportunity here based on what we know about physical training, but also in terms of training perception in the mind and decision making. This, I don't think, really been applied very well to hitting, especially through the developmental years. If this were to hit the grassroots, if this kind of training were to hit players at a grassroots level, Um, As they develop and grow strong, I think this would translate into a really new era for the game in terms of offense and hitting. The pitchers have taken the lead. There's no question about it. But if we take that 90 mile an hour fastball, some of the research that's come out of Yale and the physicists at Yale who really broke down the science of hitting, it was a fascinating look at baseball. So if you can imagine the epic battle between pitcher and hitter, at 90 miles an hour, it takes the ball 400 milliseconds 
to get to the plate. And then on the opposing side, you have the hitter. And if you swing the bat 80 miles an hour, it takes about 150 milliseconds for that bat to come from its resting point at the top of your swing to the contact point where it should meet the ball. So a 90 mile an hour pitch, that takes 400 milliseconds, less than half a second to get to the plate. And a swing at 80 miles an hour that takes about 150 milliseconds. That leaves the hitter about one quarter of a second, 250 milliseconds to do everything that needs to be done to see the ball, recognize the pitch, decide you're going to swing, start the swing to make contact where you need to. Oh, it seems, think about it. It seems impossible if you break it down, if you were to draw a little graph of that, okay? It takes about 100 milliseconds for the eye of the batter to see the ball and actually send the message to the brain. Another 75 milliseconds for the brain to actually analyze and process that information. And then you've got 25 seconds, 25 milliseconds to make the decision on whether it's a ball you want to hit or not. And the ball's still about 150 milliseconds away from the plate. It is an unbelievable battle. But here's the thing. We haven't really ever taught our hitters to do that stuff well. The hitters that are great at hitting have just sort of figured it out because you have to. It's, it's the way the game has forced us to really just, you know, make contact. But we've never really attacked this type of development, which is totally trainable, by the way. Perception, decision-making, brain processing speed, gaze control. So I think there's a massive opportunity here for the offensive side of the game, for the hitters. I think for hitters at the major league level, at the highest level of the game, there's opportunity because I don't think all of them have been exposed to this kind of stuff before. There's great hitting coaches, though. There's great research. There's great data. There's great statistics. So they're in a pretty good shape. But until you actually train and attack this, um, there's room for improvement there. But I think the real, the real opportunity lies in the developmental game, the youth game. Start teaching kids this at 9, 10, 11 years of age. So it sort of rides with them through their developmental curve. And then when they do really start choosing their sports and deciding if baseball is a game they want to pursue or pursue, whether they, whether they play it just for fun for the rest of their lives or whether they pursue a high performance pathway, this is going to be a skill that grows with them. Because as players move up, of course, in any sport, if they decide to take the high-performance pathway, whether it's junior sports, national sports, Olympic-level sports, whether it's college or pro sports, the competition gets tougher. When you're seeing better pitching, it forces you to become a better hitter. And if you're not adaptable, you don't survive. It goes the other way as well. As a pitcher starts seeing better hitters, if you can't get them out, if you can't deceive them enough to, to get them out, you're not going to survive. You have to be adaptable. And that's part of the platform here at Crush Performance. This has been one of our major talking points for the last five years when we go present or when we start working with teams or organizations. How do you create coachable players? And you guys, we have a, an incredible course coming out for baseball. We're going to be getting to the other sports as well, revolving exactly around this. Things you can do as a player, as a coach, as a teacher, and as a parent to create opportunity for your athletes. Now, to be clear, our number one objective is to reduce risk of injury, right? And then, of course, the great spinoff of doing that well is you can attack the performance parameters. So it all comes together. And it's another reason we're really watching this baseball season with great interest, a short spring training. I mean, on average, we see the highest injury rates 
in April, in May in professional baseball. It's the transition from spring training. It's getting into that competitive schedule and a bunch of other factors that we're going to discuss on today's show. Some teams have an advantage before the first pitch is even thrown. What is that all about? What can you do to not just reduce your risk of injury, but increase your playing performance right now as you get ready for the season, but as your season starts, I'm going to tell you, there's a couple of things you can do right now that you have to do right now to take care of that business. So why don't we cut up for a quick break? When we come back, let's get into it. What can you do as the season starts to reduce your risk of injury, improve your performance, and we'll also look at our teams, our players, and the storylines we're watching in this Major League season. Lots more baseball talk coming up on Crush Performance. Stick around, everybody. If there's one thing that we know for sure, it's that no two bodies are the same. So when we start preparing our athletes for competition, we attack the individual and we always work from the inside out because what's inside is what counts. You're unique and your nutrition plan should be unique as well. Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. And using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside. And then they provide you with science backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way for better performance and better health. And I want this for you, your family, and your athletes. So here's what we're going to do. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash crush. Again, that's insidetracker.com slash crush. That's crush with a K. And get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Discover your body's potential. Schedule a live demo now at insidetracker.com because change is an inside job. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell. We're your trusted source for performance information. If you want to reach out to us, get to our website. Brand new website, everybody. Crushperformance.com. You can write to us. Info at Crush Performance. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush and on all other social media platforms. You could search out Crush Performance and we can hook up there. All right. Spring is one of my favorite times of the year for a number of reasons. Of course, baseball is kicking off. We got NBA playoffs. We've got NHL playoffs. March Madness is just over. We got the Masters kicking off. It's just unbelievable. We were just discussing the epic battle between pitcher and hitter and the opportunity that hitters might have if we train them to see, perceive, and get that swing going faster. And again, it's one of the benefits of having a faster swing. It gives you more time in the box for your brain to process and you to decide whether you want to hit that ball. It's one of the reasons we're seeing this uh, push towards bat speed, not just to hit the ball harder, but to give the hitters more time to see the ball. Moving the mound back, I don't think would be a great rule change for the game. I really don't. I think it would be a disaster. More stress on the pitchers as well. And we don't need anything that might have the potential to increase the risk of injury in the game of baseball. Injury rates have already been on the rise at every level of the game for the last number of years. We don't need anything that might increase that risk. Throwing the ball farther, I don't see how that's going to be beneficial for anybody but the hitters. And I think there's better ways to get the hitters prepared for that battle that is is baseball, right? The ultimate battle between pitcher and hitter. There's lots of things we can do there rather than risking 
a dangerous move of the mound to create more stress on the pitchers. And again, reducing injuries, one of our number one priorities. I mean, we're already under stress this year with this shortened spring training. Listen, getting ready for the baseball season, it's a long game. So let's kick off the conversation about what can you do to reduce your risk of injury and improve your performance as you get ready for the season. Well, hopefully you guys have already been taking part in a progressive throwing program. You know, the throwing program we'll have for our junior national type players and our pro guys, it can be up to 15 weeks of progressive throwing. I mean, typically for a season that ends in October, we really won't have our guys start throwing until January, but they start throwing in January once or twice a week. It's playing catch for 10 minutes at 45 to 90 feet. And then we slowly progress into a 10 minute long toss where we slowly move them back a little bit more. You know, at week four or five, we might add some change-ups, some flat ground change-ups for our pitchers. And then we'll get into, you know, light bullpens, probably week five or six. But we spend about 15 weeks of progressive throwing to get the guys ready for spring training. And then we have another four to five weeks of spring training. And if pitchers and catchers report early, we can have up to five weeks more of spring training to get them ready for the season. That's the time frame that's needed to get an arm back in shape for the throwing motion. And you do need the time off. I think one of the disasters, maybe two of the big disasters in the game right now is year-round baseball. It is an absolute atrocity for the health and wellness of players at every single level. So if you're a coach, if you own, if you own an indoor facility, if you run an academy, be hypersensitive to this year-round throwing. People think throwing is year-round throwing is good for players. It is not. The other side is the velocity trap. So many young high school, junior high players are getting caught in this push to throw harder. And whether you throw hard or not, if you're throwing hard for your level of ability, that's as damaging as throwing hard in terms of velo. And we know that getting over 92 miles an hour is where the danger scales start to really tip in the wrong direction. Once a player starts throwing over 92 miles an hour, the risk factors go through the roof. And this is all based on normative data that's been collected for years and years and years. 92 is that tipping point. And I think what we're seeing now, teams are getting smart. Teams realize that they're part of the problem. And I'm talking professional major league teams. They realize they're part of the problem. They look at velocity as this sexy, super sexy, super valuable commodity uh, that gets hitters out. And it does. Velocity does get hitters out. There's no doubt about it. But at what risk? If you look at the injury rates at every level of the game, I'm not sure the risk meets the reward. I think what we're going to see, teams looking for young, talented, passionate players that love the game who throw in the high 80s and low 90s. Because if there is 94, 95, 96 inside of that young baseball player, we'll get to it. It's not rocket science to throw harder. The problem is we're having our 15, 16, 17-year-olds throw at maximum intensity. And with the training, we're seeing the velocities creep up to the you know low to mid-90s and players are breaking. Players are breaking long before they ever, ever reach their potential. So my suggestion number one for keeping you safe and improving your performance is make sure you have, first and foremost, 
a progressive throwing program going into the season. And I don't care if you're playing T-ball, Little League grassroots, or if you're getting ready for your college season or your pro season. We spend about 12 to 15 weeks getting our players ready for spring training so that they can go on and have a great progressive spring to have a great season. All right? Think about your progression and how much you throw. And if you want help, write to me. Info at Crush Performance. If you have questions or you're not sure, I'll send you a sample throwing program. I honestly will. I'm so passionate about this. And it's not going to be a program that's built for you personally, but you'll be able to see. You know what? We'll post it on our website. And you'll see the progressive nature of our throwing programs over 15 weeks leading up to spring training. It's one of the first things I would do for every ball player out there. Number two, coaches, players, parents, administrators, organize your warmups. The warmup, the everyday warmup in a baseball practice can be an absolute game changer, not just in terms of performance, but in reducing risk of injury. It's one of our most valuable times. And yet we just go through the motions. You'll see the coaches leaning on their bats, just talking shop or whatever it is they talk about as the players get ready for the game. If you've ever had a chance to get down to spring training now and see what players do during their warmup, it is fantastic. It's getting so much better. And we need to start doing that at the developmental levels. This needs to become part of the game, an active, progressive warm-up. Yes, we want to get the body ready for sport, but I want to take it one step further. I want to use that warm-up period, whether you have 10 minutes, whether you have seven minutes, whether you have 25 minutes, I want to use that period as not just an activation readiness period. I want to use it as an athlete development period. We teach movement. In every single warm-up we do, we reinforce proper functional posture in every single warm-up we do. We do rotator cuff, range of motion work, getting the body ready, but we also actually enhance and reinforce some of the stuff we do in our conditioning. And if you're a youth coach, all you need to do is provide structured change of direction, get them moving at different planes, and talk about how to interact with the ground. This is one of the major parts of this course that we're putting together. It's going to be coming out later this spring. You could check it out, but we're going to show you how to teach that stuff because it's critical. Even when we take a major league player and show them this stuff and how to do it every single day, one, not only are we getting the players ready for the game in a way that's so superior to static stretching. Static stretching, we do at the end of the day. We do no static stretching prior to games or practices. So we get them ready. That's number one. Number two, we're actually working on athletic development and movement skills. Every single day we challenge our guys with either an acceleration, deceleration, body position, or change of direction. Teach your players to run backwards. Running backwards will help your players move in every other plane of motion. It's a critical skill to learn in sport. And it 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 transcends baseball. Heck, it transition transcends sport. But if we have this incorporated into our baseball practices, it'll help that kid play volleyball, basketball, soccer, whatever other sport they play, which is fantastic. And if the other sports are also reinforcing this, we're just raising the athleticism, the coachability of all of our players. And when they finally do catch fire and decide which sport they want to play, man, have we collectively done a great job. Collectively right now, we have a lot of work to do. So one, a good warm-up will get them ready for the game. It will teach movement. But number three, especially in single-sided sports like baseball, golf, tennis, you could even talk hockey, curling. You could not so much soccer, but the one-sided sports. 
Um, it also is our one opportunity to really, really soften the blow of the one-sidedness of, of our sport. We could be talking golf. You could be talking tennis, certainly baseball. You throw with your right hand, you hit right-sided. Think of the imbalances. Think about how many times you throw a ball in a day or a week or a month during the season. And think of how many times you swing a bat. Every time you throw or hit, the muscles are working in a very particular way. And if we're not doing anything to offset that, you would not believe how quickly the body gets out of balance. Postures start to crumble. Range of motion starts to get eliminated. And if that gets too far away from the plumb line, from the true functional posture, injuries start to happen. And I think that's one of the things that's happening in sport right now because of year-round specialization. We can see these injuries happening in golf for the golfers that don't do anything else. Okay, one-sidedness. We see it in hockey. You're a left-handed hockey player or a right-handed hockey player. We're not just seeing imbalances in your hips and your groin. We're also seeing imbalances in your shoulder girdle and through your core. So we have to make sure we're offsetting that. You can do that, some of it, in your warm-up and your cool-down. In baseball, throwing right, hitting right. If you're a switch hitter, okay, great. But we need to make sure that the exercises we have in our warm-up that we incorporate into our warm-up help offset that one-sided repetitiveness of the game. And if we can do that, a progressive throwing program going into the season, get into a real functional, well-rounded, well-thought-out warm-up, man, oh man, not only are we reducing the risk of injury significantly, if we look at our major league academies that I've been helping Major League Baseball with for the last 15 years, our injury rates are low, really low. And that's exciting for us because when we're not injured, we're developing and getting better. There's two main reasons kids drop out of sport. Number one, they're not having fun anymore. And a big part of that is the number two, injuries. Injuries aren't fun. Kids don't like to get, like getting hurt. After the second injury, it's almost a given. Kids are out. They don't want to get hurt and we don't want to hurt them, right? So if we can do something constructive to not only decrease the risk of injury, but increase player performance, why would we not do it? I'm excited about where we're at. In this, in this phase of, of sport development. But we can also do this better at the professional levels as well. Okay, It is a mundane groundhog day meat grinder when you get into the regular season every day. To be attentive and to be purposeful at every single warm-up is very, very tough. But with a good coach or good strength coach there, um, it can be really, really rewarding. And the payoff is huge. So Progressive throwing and warm-up are the two big things that I would suggest you really look at as we head into this baseball season. And if you get a chance to watch the pro teams do it, well, I would suggest you do. They're doing some good things out there, so it's great. It's great to see. Okay, listen, as the season gets underway, here at Crush Performance, we like to break down everything that's going on in the sport, whether it's football, basketball, hockey. We always have a crush style of looking at the se- at the season. And we like to look at the players to watch. We have teams to watch. And we also like to pick who we might think will be successful this year. And I'd like to start off this year looking at some of the players that we're going to watch. And again, for no major reason other than we're really interested to see how they do. And number one is Shoei Otani uh, of the Angels. Listen, this is a very, very special player 
one that he's international, I think is fantastic. But the fact that he is transcending the game, the Otani rule, for example, when Otani comes out of a game as a pitcher, he can still stay in the game as a designated hitter. They created that rule for him. It's going to open doors, I think, for more pitchers to be great hitters. One of the things I think we're really missing in the developmental game is the specialization of, of pitchers. They don't hit. They don't hit as young players. They get specialized in the pitching early. And man, it is lowering ceilings of potential because some pitchers might wind up being great third basemen or great outfielders. And they're going to need to hit. They've got the arm, but if they can't hit, they can't play. So pitchers, please hit, 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 and hit until you decide you're going to be specialized. And even then... Um, hitting the big leagues like Otani. We're watching Otani because unbelievable. Could he be 30, 30, 30 home runs, 30 steals? How many starts is he going to get? Wouldn't it be crazy if he got 30 starts, <laughs> 30 home runs, 30 steals, 30 starts. And of course we want him to be healthy. So we're watching him. We're watching Mike Trout as well, coming off the injury, talking about the angels. We're watching Trout very closely. Uh, again, another player that's sort of really recalibrated the game. He is special 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 we want him to be healthy all season long and we want to see what he can do uh this year as a healthy player i'm really excited for the angels this year for sure and Syndergaard is back man i'm telling you what when he is on and he is healthy he is a weapon and of course he had his first start at spring training um and he'll be a weapon for them if he stays healthy so the angels actually have a lot of fun things to keep your eye on in terms of players Another player that I'm watching personally and I've been watching for the last five years is Acuna Jr. with the Braves. He is such a special player. He makes the game fun. I personally think he might be the best position player in the game. Big injury last year going into the wall for the Braves. Massive, massive loss for the Braves. And yet they still won the World Series. I'm also watching Mike Soroka, the Canadian pitcher who is back from a massive Achilles blowout. Um, I'm hoping Mike has a great season. And despite the Braves losing Freddie Freeman, they added Matt Olson from the A's. And we're going to watch Matt Olson as well to see how he transitions into defending the World Series, coming over to take the place and fill the mighty shoes of Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, of course, being another player we're watching, his transition over to the Dodgers. How good can the Dodgers possibly get? Well, we're going to talk about teams next, but... He is a huge addition to that lineup, and uh, it's made the Dodgers even more lethal than they were before. We're also going to watch uh, in Toronto, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. There's a bunch of things we're going to watch in Toronto. I mean, there's so many so many things going on there, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but they're one of the top teams right now in all of baseball, if they can stay healthy. Do they have the depth? I think that's going to be the big question. They lost a couple of key players, but they added Matt Chapman and a couple of key pitching additions. They're going to be exciting to watch. We're also going to have our eye on Justin Verlander coming back from an injury. He's probably one of my favorite pitchers in the game right now. And as he gets into the twilight of his career, he's as good. He's like a Brady of baseball. And I hope he has a great season. He's playing for the wrong team, of course. The Astros, the evil Astros from the sign-stealing incident. Still have a black cloud over, over that entire organization. It's not going away anytime soon, and rightfully so. But we've got one of my favorite players on one of my least favorite teams right now. And the Astros, again, since 2011 with the new ownership, 
we'll get to this next next segment. But they were one of our teams to watch. But but Verlander is going to be one of our our players to watch. Tatis Jr. coming off of an injury, he is a major contributor to that team, and he's one of the bright young faces in baseball. We're watching Byron Buxton with the Twins. He's a special player. He is a top ten speed guy. He could be a candidate for MVP if the Twins do well. Even if the Twins don't do well, he is an exciting player to watch in baseball right now. There's a few others, but the other notable player I'd like to mention before we cut out for a quick break here is Pujols. He's on the verge of getting 700 home runs, and I really want to see that happen. So there's there's our players we're watching. Let's cut out for a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the teams we're watching. We'll make our predictions, and we also want to explain why teams, some teams, have a massive advantage before the first pitch is even thrown. It might be something you've never considered before. It's fascinating and it's powerful. And we'll talk about it right after this on Crush Performance. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Kershell. Reach out to us. Questions? Comments, smart remarks. Our new website, crushperformance.com, is now up and running. Lots of great new features there. Lots of great new ways to connect and some uh, cool new information for you guys to check out. Go to jeffkershell.com and write to us, info at Crush Performance. All right, Major League Baseball is back. The season's kicking off this week. We're just talking about players that we're going to watch this season. We also talked about some of the things we think you could do right now to not just Improve your performance, but really, really reduce your risk of injury. It's so important. And as we kick off this season, you know, we like to look at teams and storylines we're watching. Well, when we look at the teams that we're going to watch, there's a number of things that we like to look at. You know, it's so hard to put together a winning team in professional sports and in a schedule that's 162 games packed into so many days. It gets really, really hard. And one of the factors here, is the travel. And right off the bat, before the first pitch is even thrown, there are a number of teams that have a mountain to climb before the season even starts. And here's why. In 2021, if you look at the Chicago White Sox, who are nestled in very nicely over towards the east, they traveled 23,271 miles last year. If you go to the West Coast, way up in the Northwest, the Seattle Mariners were the team who traveled the most miles in 2021, 48,401 miles, almost 50,000 miles compared to the White Sox, just over 23,000 miles. And if you don't think that makes a difference, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. Now, if you look at the top teams, the five top teams, the Mariners, the Athletics, the Giants, the Angels, the Marlins on the East Coast, which is an interesting one, and then the Astros. Most of the teams are West Coast. And five of the top seven are in the same division. The Mariners, the Athletics, the Angels, the Astros, the Rangers. That's the AL West at the top of the mileage for team travel last year. And it doesn't get any easier this year. So there's two things that you can look at here. One, for those teams who do travel those great distances, there's an opportunity here to do it better than other organizations. But also you have to think that the Mariners travel 48,401. The Chicago White Sox travel 23,000. Just it's under half the amount of travel. There's a huge advantage for the teams on the East. And not only that, traveling West to East is way more difficult than traveling East to West. 
it's way harder to delay your clock than it is to advance it. The interesting one here is the Marlins. They traveled just over 40,000 miles last year, and they're on the East Coast. So they have it up against them as well. But their time zones remain there. So they're not quite in the same boat as those teams that are traveling east. So that's one of the things we look at for sure. So when we look at the teams that we're watching this year, there's a couple of interesting things we're looking at. One is that travel. The other is the payroll. The discrepancy in Major League Baseball is almost laughable. If you take the number one payroll in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, their total payroll for 2022 is going to be $277.8 million and change. $277 million and change. If you go down to number 30, the lowest payroll team, which is the Baltimore Orioles, their entire team payroll is $30 million. I think the Dodgers have players that are making $30 million this year. So you have this massive payroll discrepancy in Major League Baseball that certainly plays a role on a team's ability to be successful. I mean, I really do feel sorry for those low payroll teams. I feel sorry for their fan bases. And that's one of the issues in the collective bargaining agreement was this, this basement for payroll. The players want it to be much, much higher. They want the ceiling to be higher. And the owners are going, no, 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 no. We're not going to spend all that money. But I don't think it's fair to have teams spending only $30 million on payroll while the other ones are paying two, 200 plus. There's five teams with payrolls over $200 million, And there's three teams under $40 million. So, you know, those teams in Oakland and Pittsburgh, Cleveland and Baltimore, feel sorry for those fans in a way, but you also have to consider the craziness of sport. Classically, we're seeing close to half of the postseason teams coming from the bottom half of payrolls in Major League Baseball. Now, it might not always be half of the teams, but there's always teams coming from the bottom half who make it there. Think of the Rays, for example. They have never been in the top half in payroll. They are not just contenders for the postseason. They're contenders for the World Series. Look at the A's as another example. The Twins, another example. There are these teams that have some kind of crazy culture going on. The Milwaukee Brewers is another one, especially for this year. They're one of our teams for this year. But there's always those teams with small payrolls that just seem to make it happen. It's a David and Goliath, and I love that stuff. So as much as I don't like the disparity in payrolls, I also love to watch these teams persevere with just very, very minute investment from their ownership. So as much as I'd like to see the basement payroll come up, I think that'd be good for the game. I don't think there needs to be a high floor. I think it just needs to be more reasonable where teams actually have a better chance of contending. And it also forces ownership and teams to be competitive, right? So when we look at the teams we're watching this year, there are a number of things we're looking at. And I'll tell you right now, we're watching the Braves to see if they can repeat. That's just a classic approach for crush performance. Can the previous winners come back and win again? The Braves had an okay offseason. They lost Freddie Freeman, a massive hole, but they added Matt Olson, who I think might even be as good or better than Freddie Freeman. Can Matt Olson rise to the occasion and help this team defend? It's going to be fun to watch. We have to watch the Dodgers with the biggest payroll in baseball. Again, $277.8 million in change. 
they should be contenders and they're going to be contenders. Okay. They've added some great pitching and they've added Freddie Freeman. They're certainly going to be a weapon and they want to win. They are a culture of winning regardless of their payroll. They've got something special going on inside. You have to watch the Rays as well. They're just stirring the pot with a very low payroll. If you look at the Rays, they're, I think, 24 out of 30 in payroll. So they're down there in the bottom third of the league. But man, they always contend. They've got talent. We're watching the Jays, of course. Very exciting. They had a great offseason. And they're the odds favorite right now, I think, to win the World Series. They're not my pick personally, but they're certainly the odds favorites across the board, I believe, to, to win the World Series. We're also watching the Arizona Diamondbacks. Listen, we're watching them for a very different reason. I know the guys inside the organization there and their performance staff and some of the people in there, great people, but they were terrible last year. I think they were 30 back at the All-Star break. They finished 55 games back at the end of the season last year. And they're not terribly low in terms of payroll, but they're terribly low in terms of performance. So we're watching Arizona to see how they've turned the ship around and can they make a drastic change? No team should finish 55 games back, right? We're watching the Mets as well, of course, with the new ownership and the new commitment there. There's a massive payroll, $252.3 million, and they're doing some special things. That ownership, it's a dream ownership. He grew up a Mets fan, went to Mets games with his dad. He's been a fan his whole life. Now he's a multi-billionaire, and he owns the team. <laughs> I love it. I want to work there. I'm not even joking. I do. I would love... I would love to just go and be inside that organization to see what could happen there with that kind of ownership and that kind of support because you still have to perform. We've seen teams with huge payrolls. Take the Red Sox, for example, just not be great, not be great for a long time, okay? And then you have the ebb and flow, the ups and downs. So we're watching the Orioles, who have the lowest payroll in baseball. Can they start climbing their way back? That's going to be a long game. We're probably going to be watching the Orioles for the next five or six years to see what this, what this transition could do. New leadership teams, right from the general managers, the front office, right down to on the field. That organization got blowed up, blowed up real good. And they're rebuilding now and making their way back. Can they come back to be that storied franchise that they are? And then we're also watching the other team that I'm really keeping a close eye on are the Texas Rangers for a number of reasons. They've got great things going on there, but they've added a new GM and they've added some huge pieces to the puzzle. So those are my top teams to watch. If you look at the odds, okay, there's the Jays, our number one. The White Sox are right up there. The Astros, the Braves, the Brewers, and the Dodgers are probably all picked favorites to win their divisions. So you've got those six teams probably comfortably heading into the offseason. You have to watch the Yankees as well, though I don't think they're there this year. But then you have those teams, again, those teams I'm talking about, those low payroll teams, those wild cards, those long shots. And my long shot picks for this year are the A's, the Rangers, the Detroit Tigers, and the Twins. Detroit might not be such a long shot, but I'm hoping that those teams can persevere and do really, really well. And then, of course, you've got the wild cards, the Padres, the Giants, the Rays, the Yankees, the Angels, and the Mets. Um, That's where things can go anyway. So, There's lots of fun things to watch as we head into the Major League season this year. So as we wrap up the show here, our pick for the 2022 World Series Championship of Major League Baseball is the Los Angeles Dodgers. I just can't get away from them. I don't want it to be the Dodgers. I'd like to see the Braves win it again. I'd like to see the Angels compete. I'd like to see the Jays compete. So I've got four teams that I'd love to see there that I think can be there. 
But I think the Dodgers, if they, no, they've got the depth. Don't even deny it. They've got the depth. They're going to be there this year once again. So I'm picking the Dodgers. Mark it down. Let me know if you agree. Do you agree with the division winners? Do you agree with the wild cards? Do you like the players? Do you have a player you're watching? Let us know. Write to us. JeffGrishel.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. If you have any questions or if you want some help with your program, again, heading into your season, aggressive throwing, take advantage of that warm-up. It will pay off. Trust me. Just trust me. We've got lots more to talk about here in the days to come. We're going to be talking more baseball. We'll be talking off-season hockey. We're going to be talking the Crush War on Sugar as well. So lots of great things coming up here on Crush Performance. Thanks for tuning in today, everybody. I hope you're uh, getting set for the baseball season. And if you're a player yourself, get out there and play ball. Talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. We're here to help you think like an athlete. This is a Rock Stops Here with Rock Riley Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Oh, got a top flight guest. Now, it's not long. I don't know, five, six, seven minutes or whatever. Uh, He was very, very busy. He just signed a new deal. I'm talking about the NFL insider, Adam Schefter, ESPN. One of the biggest names in all of sports broadcasting. He has been covering the NFL for 30 years. I talk with him at the NFL annual meetings in Palm Beach, Florida, at the beautiful Breakers Hotel. This guy is so busy. Now, he tried to downplay it. A lot of people in the country work hard. Yes, that's true. But he's been doing this for over 30 years. I'm just thankful for the for the couple of minutes that I got with him. So without further ado, on the Rock Stops here, the biggest guest. He just signed a new $10 million extension to stay doing what he's doing at the top of ESPN. The one, the only, Adam Schefter. The Rock Stops here with longtime radio and TV personality Rock Riley is found anywhere you find podcasts and radioinfluence.com.